I'm Anna Dallahare. On this episode of Reclaiming the Garden, we have a uh, conversation with Richie X, uh, who you can find on Instagram at Richie Again. Richie X is an autistic, queer, non-binary writer and commentator who aims to uplift people to challenge and change core beliefs that do not enhance the quality of their mental and spiritual wellness. They are the host of the podcast Surviving Fundamentalism and Underdogs on Top, which are available most places podcasts are found. Um, yeah, it was just so cool to um, hear their story. Um, and, you know, for Pride Month, it's very apropos, a story of um, queer resilience against mm-hmm. a lot of um, a lot of challenges. And um, it's super cool that they're using, you know, they're uh, using what they've learned from their experiences to help a lot of other people. So, yeah, this was such an incredible interview and we'll, we'll discuss more after, so we won't spoil anything, but, uh, I guess into the interview. Okay. Um, Richie, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. You know, I think I found you just through the general, like, um, deconstruction community, particularly, I think it was like, I found you through a post that was relating to like, why are there not more like black voices being lifted up in the deconstruction community? And I was like, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, and and I think it was Danielle's page, uh, unchurched or unfit Christian mm-hmm. at Instagram, and so that was a uh, something that I've always that I've noticed since I've been deconstructing. Uh, yeah, so I, I'd like to, you know, I think we'll talk more, much more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are going to start off today. Um, we start off with the very lighthearted question, of course, of uh, tell us about your faith journey. Um, how have you reached this point into your faith journey? Where have you come from? Uh, we would love to hear all about it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I have a very complex, long journey. <laughs> um, for it. it is quite interesting. So I was raised Muslim. And my mother is still Sunni Muslim. Uh, I spent most of the time in the mosque and kind of just frequenting most uh, mosques in in, uh, the area here. I'm from uh, New Jersey, the capital of New Jersey, Trenton. Um, And so I was just really... I don't even know if I was like fully connected. I just thought it was like all so interesting. Um, But I became bored very quickly. And I had like, I'd had remnants of uh, the black church experience by way of television, um, music. I think there's so many elements of it that is in uh, music as well. So I always felt drawn to uh, that, that a feeling. So before my mother like wholeheartedly converted to Islam, we did go to church once. And I remember we went to a church here called Wayne Avenue Baptist Church. And I remember feeling this overwhelming emotion. And I was, and I remember feeling like, what is that? (laughs) what is that? I need to feel more of that. I need to have more of this experience. It had a lot to do with music, really. Uh, I am a musician, a singer. And so I um, 
was just really drawn to that fast forward a couple years. And occasionally I was allowed to go to church with my uh, uh, grandfather's wife as well. And so we, I would go then, I would feel the same thing. It was like this electrifying feeling that came from a mixture of the energy in the room, the emotion in the room, as well as the music. And so I was like, oh, okay, I need to feel this. And so one day I woke up and I was like 11 and I decided to go to church. And I went and I went to the nearest church uh, near me. I went and then I went, I kind of went to a couple and then I left and went home and I was like, I didn't like it. And then I went uh, um, and then we moved and then I went to the churches near that place and I ended up liking one of them. And then I stayed, I just kept going every Sunday. I'd get dressed and go by myself. It was it was probably two minutes from my house. So I walked down the street, pivoted into through the church parking lot, went inside the building and just sat in the back. And I did that um, for a while until there was a young woman who was doing, um, uh, she was doing a seminary degree at Princeton. Oh, okay. Seminary, and she asked because she interviewed me for her paper. And I said, sure. And she said, well, you know, what's your name? Who do you come to church with? I said, myself. And she said, I mean, no, like, who do you come to church with? And I was like, myself. She's like, I'm confused. I said, I walked, I got dressed, I walked here, and I come here all the time. And she said, do you just come? I said, yeah. And she's like... (laughs) Um, this is, I have to tell somebody this. And so she <laughs> in the pastor's office and he's like, so what happened? And I said, well, I had a feeling that I wanted to come to church. So I came and I've been coming ever since. And everybody's astonished. And I'm very confused. Um, I think, um, sorry to interrupt, but uh-huh. I think that's like definitely has the vibes of like, you know, I feel like churches like that are always like, oh my God, a young person, we need to rope them in so they can do all these things. And like, oh, oh, I was about to get to that because that's what they did. <laughs> I became this, I became this kind of golden child. I, so the pastor then, um, he's passed now, um, but he was, he announced told my story in front of the entire church. And this church sat about, I want to say maybe a thousand people. Wow. Um, And he had me up there and he's like, this young person came to church by themselves. They said that something told them to just come to church. And and there was this whole thing and I'm just standing there and every, and so they were like, well, we have to get you involved. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, what do you like to do? And I was like, well, I sing. And they said, put them in the choir. So I was in the choir. I was on the usher board. I was in all this different stuff. And then I became a part of the actual church. That led to a very interesting experience. I had more of those emotional experiences that led me to, as I got older, I that pastor, that was a Baptist church, and that pastor uh, preached at a Pentecostal church one day. They had like a fellowship with a Pentecostal church. And those people had a time. And I said, oh, I like these people. What are they doing? What is this? (laughs) And so I chased, I kind of wanted that 
feeling. And so I, event, it always stuck with me. And I, so then I started to get more in, in like kind of building my own spiritual journey, I guess. Yeah. And then not long story short, I ended up leaving there for a, what I like to call a Baptist, a Baptocostal church, which is kind of the bridge in between right. a, a, a full gospel Baptist. And so there was, there was still the Pentecostal uh, um, antics with a Baptist label. And so there was that in between. And there I had a, you know, um, a Pentecost experience uh, where I spoke in tongues. And then there was, um, I moved on to another, I was, that's where I was licensed to preach. Um, I became a licensed minister at, 13. Oh my gosh. Only child. So I was still this like kid that goes to church by themselves. Um, and you got to think about it too. I am, uh, uh, or, uh, autistic level one. Um, and, and it used to be diagnosis used to be Asperger's syndrome, but, uh, now it's called autism, autism, autism level one. And um, also have ADHD, uh, which includes a host of things, but most likely, uh, most importantly, hyperfixation. And oh, yeah. um, and so it was a recipe for just discovery. I fell in love with like the study of the actual Bible. I think because I needed to make it make sense. Of course. And I literally spent hours and hours and hours in my room. I became a student of scripture using a dictionary, using the Strong's Concordance, defining the words in Hebrew and Greek. And and I just dove head on, head in. Um, And then I, so I was ordained to preach and I preached my first sermon and, um, and I was already singing and traveling Mm -hmm. My singing had always, that stayed a part of the thing. Once people started to find out that I could sing and I sang in my, my school choir was a, um, a traveling choir and we sung in different languages and, but, um, but my little church career of preaching, being a little firecracker preacher kid was, had already taken off and I was that person and again, my identity just held around that. But I think there's so much more to this story. This story is a very long story. <laughs> I, I mean, do have a question. Do you remember what your first sermon yeah. was when you were a like, what, was the, what was the text like that you... Like if you remember, of course. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. It was at a church in Jersey City, New Jersey, um, right outside of New York City. And I do... I don't remember. I don't. I, I remember like one of my sermons from that era. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. Um, and I only remember it because I used a word wrong. And uh, oh. I have never, I guess, let myself live it down. Mm-hmm. I I should have named the, the, the sermon, I Will Persevere. But I, I used it to perseverer and it's not a word but I didn't know that at the time but I was really really young probably and um so yeah uh the rest of my that 
full story in detail is told in in episodes on uh, my podcast, Surviving Fundamentalism. But uh, that story is so long. There's so many layers, and I and I don't want to take up the entire time with it because okay. you have, you know, if I could bullet point it, you have me converting from Islam. You have me eventually being baptized, being licensed to preach. And then you have, I had a full other conversion experience my senior year in high school Mm -hmm. um, where I joined um, the Apostolic Pentecostal uh, Church. And, you know, and their doctrine is very different. Um, Apostolic Pentecostals are oneness. They do. They believe um, uh, in baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, they do okay. not believe in baptism by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They believe it only in the name of Jesus Christ. They are oneness, huh. essentially meaning they when they are oneness. Um, they believe that God was manifest in the flesh, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, um, and um, has arisen to be seated in the right hand, which is at all power and authority in the person of Jesus on the throne. So they have this, it is very, it can be worked out because I, I believe that most Christians believe that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, but it's just all semantics <laughs> and years and years years of Pentecostal history that date back to the Azusa Street movement in the early 1900s. But um, I had a different kind of conversion experience. I, I, you know, like I said, I always fancied the Pentecostals. And Mm -hmm. I went to, by the time I reached senior year in high school, I think this is important. And so by the time I reached senior year in high school, I was exhausted. I did not know that I was not neurotypical. At that point, I was not diagnosed until most recently. So I was exhausted, probably because I was pretending to be neurotypical, mm-hmm. probably because um, my religious persona was a mask. You know, all just that's a lot of responsibility for a young person to take also, on, like, regardless. Just, <laughs> some of the things that you're talking about right now regarding like neurodivergence and religion, I recently just uh, subscribed to a uh, Substack newsletter by DL Mayfield called God is My Special Interest. Um, yes. She- yeah, she um, she talks about how, like, she actually, I believe, got diagnosed with autism this year in her late 30s. Um, and she talks about how specifically because she is a woman and because she is someone raised in a fundamentalist religion, she, it was very easy to mask her, her neurodivergence. So I've been yeah. finding it really interesting. Um, I'm going, I wrote it down. I'm going to check that out. I, yeah, that was, you know, and of course, uh, the more rigid into the Pentecostal world I could go, the more I would, of course, find identity because autism likes fine lines. Mm-hmm. We like rules and standards that we can stick by. We like things that we can see and things that make sense. Of course. But the one thing is that, um, and if it can't make sense, we're, we will chart it to make it make sense. Yeah. But the thing is, is that um, statistically, autistic people are more likely to be atheist because religion is not logical. And ultimately, you will come to realize that as a neurodivergent person and it's like, uh, okay, yeah. 
And, you know, but, you know, yeah, I was giving a timeline. So senior in high school, I, I was baptized again in the name of Jesus Christ. And I joined the Apostolic Pentecostal Church, an organization called the United Pentecostal Church International has over like 7 million people and 6,000 churches worldwide. They have like 13 Bible colleges. I was, uh, I went to one of their Bible colleges. I forbade all of my scholarships to prestigious universities to go to this sham of a of a of a uh, uh, the Midwest. It's not accredited or anything. It uh, wasn't accredited, no. no. Accreditation, and it worked with uh, a local university, a small college. Um, so it was like we had to take classes at both to mm-hmm. kind of get that accreditation, that slight accreditation. But then we could transfer to certain schools that would take our undergrad degree and get accredited grad degrees, which then would kind of solidify your whole experience. <laughs> so it's like if your <laughs> master's is accredited, then everything else doesn't matter. But um, oh my God. I, I left there after one semester. Um, and, but yeah, went to this apostolic Bible college, spent, a, spent some, the next years of my life in the church in, um, you know, this organization, um, went through another moment, of course, and found a stricter church, which turned out to be a cult. And that was a very difficult experience for me that I struggled with leaving. Again, this I do I do talk about this in great detail in Surviving Fundamentalism, but I um, struggled with leaving the cult. I think I left probably four times, um, wow. and I kept going back because I believed that this place was the only place that was right. This was the place mm-hmm. where the only place that I could be saved. It was very rigid. Yeah. It was very harsh, very, very critical, very, um, very much strip you apart. You know, I want to quote my former pastor from that uh, church. Uh, you are supposed to hate yourself. Oh, if God. You, that's you know, just like the most toxic theology. Yeah, you, if you hate yourself, then you will be the way that God wants you to be. So that was pretty much the foundation of that organization. Um, and I, something in me pushed me to go away to school. Mm-hmm. I was going to community college and going to this, and, and a part of this cult. And I really had no other ambition, essentially. But I loved learning in the way that I was learning in the secular, in the classroom. And so I began to go further and further. And something, I was going to stay close to home and commute. And so I said, go to camp, go, go to school. And so I went away in the in the state but like you know north jersey and i lived on campus and i was a uh political science ma- I was a double major but one of my majors was political science and there i really learned critical thinking in wow. this way that i remember the day my brain kind of like popped 
and I could no longer exist in the bubble of fundamentalism in the same way. I remember it was like stunting me from, yeah. we were reading the, um, we were reading Nietzsche's Will to Power. We were reading um, Marx, a lot of Marx, you know, religion is the yeah. of masses. It is the mm-hmm. sigh of the oppressed. Uh, we were reading um, uh, John ha- Thomas Hobbes, The Leviathan. Mm-hmm. Um, we're reading a lot of enlightenment um, literature and, and direct sources. And I remember the fundamentalism was like keeping me from getting the fullness of that understanding. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember it was like clear as, and I was my teacher's biblical scholar because she didn't understand like the Bible, (laughs) whenever it came up in these texts that we were reading. Um, And so everything, and I remember it just popped like a rubber band. And I remember I felt it like a floodgate open up, but I also knew I was in trouble. Because I could no longer hold my beliefs as tightly as I did with all of this new information. And this Enlightenment period literature is challenging the authority of the church. I'm in a cult. And the only reason I'm not in that cult right now is because I'm away at school. But when I go home, I'm back in this cult. And what what am I going to do? And I was 22 years old. I had a nervous breakdown. And... um. But I didn't know that that nervous breakdown was the beginning of a, of a way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, 2010, I had a nervous breakdown. And um, the only way I came back from it was, was it was really because I, the institution had, it held so much of who I believed I was. Um, because where I was coming from, it was the church for me, it was the church or or the streets at that time for me. That was what, because as somebody who I now know lacks dopamine, I need something that's exciting enough to keep me on. So the, the streets were excited, but the church was just as excited as long as I you know, kept on going towards the Pentecostals. So yeah. you know, these are places that, and that gave me dopamine. But I remember I had friends who were in the streets who told me, go to church because you're not like us. And that really made me throw all of my um, self into that experience. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I have this nervous breakdown. The only way, though, I can... I lost 70 pounds in, in a month and I was losing my hair and I couldn't, I was almost lost my mind. I could not come out of it. And so yeah. what I started doing was fasting and started fasting and praying. And I did go back to my cult. I did go, I was rebaptized again, a third time mm-hmm. in the cult. And, um, you always got to make sure, you know. You know, it's like, yeah. especially since I had, you know, questioned God. And so it was like, yeah. I need to do this again. And so I went back. But after I started to get better, um, it actually it was, I was, I was on a fast, I think, for 48 hours. And in the cult, there was no um, food or water when you fast. You anoint oh my it. gosh. And you don't, you do do food or water. And I was doing three days a month with no food and no water. Um, And I was on a 48 hour fast and 
I remember I knelt down to pray and something said to me, you will not die here. Because I believed I was going to die. And something said, you will not die here, but you will live because there are plenty of young people that need to hear you. But in the cult, we didn't believe that God, we were taught that God didn't speak to us, that God spoke to him. And so, but I came from a faith tradition where we did believe that that God could speak to you individually. But I knew that was a moment for me to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, I got better. About six months later, I woke up early in the morning to pray and I knelt down and I had a pen and a piece of paper and I wrote, I don't know why I feel this, but I must write this aloud. I am queer. I am gay. Wow. And I need to say this. At the time, I called my my ex-girlfriend. And I'm like, remember how you kept asking me this and this and this? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I was gay. And then she's like, <laughs> she starts like sobbing, of course, because, oh. the, you know, you know it, she, make, she didn't mean to, but the moment became about her. Why didn't you tell me? Yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I didn't know. It's but, like I didn't know this either. We're all finding right. out together. <laughs> and 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 so I ended up coming out to myself, and then coming out to her, mm-hmm. and then I, I tried to just silence it for a few more months. Um, by this time, I'm completely healed. My hair has grown back. There's, you know, I'm in a much better space mentally. Um, and so I tell my roommate. And I lived with like five guys at the time, and I told them each individually, and um, and they all like accepted me. And then I told my friends, and I told my mom, and and then I then I came back home, and my the cult leader's brother preached a vile sermon about homosexuality. Oh no! And I'll never forget leaving. And it, the church was in Philadelphia. And I'll never forget leaving. And I was going back to school. And I was standing on the train tracks at 8th and Market in downtown Philadelphia. And I said to myself, when the train comes, I'm going to jump. And the train came so fast that it shocked me and knocked me back, the wind. So it knocked me backwards. And then the door came right in front of me and opened up. And I said, I got in it. And once I got in the door of that train, I knew that I had chosen life. And that regardless of what anything would mean for me, I would rather live and live in my truth than to live a lie. I then had a dream about my pastor's son, who was my friend at the time. And I had a dream that we were laughing and joking and there was an earthquake. And then after the earthquake, the view outside of my window changed, but he couldn't tell the difference. And he said to me, I'm going back to my dad. I have to go. And I said, you can go. I'm not going. And I woke up and I could not understand the dream for the life of me. A couple months later, he said to me, he came out to me. He told me, and he told me, that he had been, I mean, and this, and this cult leader was so violent, so violent. He said homosexuals were worse than dogs, worse than beasts. Oh um, 
you know, he he preached so violently. But it and it, and his son is telling me this. His son was a close friend of mine, and I'm like, hold up, <laughs> I'm so confused because I was carrying so much shame about who I was. And here we have this kid. See, I'm thinking, well, is it because, you know, I was primarily raised by a single mother and all the things they say that make you gay, right? Yeah, it's like, oh, this shouldn't have happened to me because I was different somehow. Yeah. But yeah. And, and so I, you know, ended up coming. I, I mean, he came out to me and I, and I froze and it snatched the wind out of me because I was like, I asked him, I said, well, were you ever molested? He said, no. I'm like, your dad has been there for you, though. He's like, I'm like, so how, 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 how? And he's like, when I went through puberty, I started liking guys. And that was it. That and simple? I was like, mm-hmm. oh, so I'm not broken. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, lo- later on, his dad found out, saw some pictures in his phone fractured his ribs, beat him really badly. Oh jeez. And um that was sadly not my not my last time walking away, but it was the time before the last time. Mm-hmm. I did go back one final time after that. Yeah. And I set up a meeting with him and I told him everything I thought about him. And I said, "You are a violent narcissist. You are just like my father." I know that you beat your son when you found out that he was gay. And um, you are, I just don't believe you're a good person. And he asked me, well, what does that have to do with you? What does my son have to do with you? I said, he was my friend. So I knew. He told me first. And I was like, you, and when I told him he was just like my father, he said, you know, he asked me about my father. We had a, a real conversation and then he said, can you do me a favor? I said, yeah. He said, can you come back Sunday? I said, okay, I'll come back Sunday. I went Sunday and he got on the pulpit and he went on this rant about how he's just trying to preach what he believes God is saying. If there's anybody in there that that is struggling with you know, homosexuality, it is not his desire to make you believe that God hates you. It was kind Even of... Even though, like, didn't he say that you're supposed to hate yourself? <laughs> so. Yeah, but it was this, like, kind of apology. And I remember him looking at me when he was saying it. And originally I bought it. And I had a friend who said to me, why would you go back there? Why would you... Why are you still going there? You're crazy. And I was just like, well, he he apologized and he said this... And he's like, yeah, you'll be good. And, and, and it's like, even with all this knowledge, I just could not go away. And the last time I was sitting in a service and I, um, one of the ministers was go up there talking about the leader. Like, you know, because in cults, they praise the leader. The ministers weren't allowed to pre- prepare messages of their own. They just... Pre- they had messages where they just talked about the leader and how great he was. Yeah. And I heard it and I was just like, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I grabbed my keys and I left and I never went back. I have still never gone back. It was my last time. 
I never went back there. I don't want to go back there. I have one and a half friend that still goes there. Um, and, you know, only reason we get along is because we don't necessarily talk about it. And he's just like, you know, I could leave if I want to, but I don't want to. I feel comfortable here. And I don't go back and forth with him about it. But yeah. Um, but we're still friends and he respects me as a queer person, acknowledges that, doesn't try to challenge me or make me feel anything. You know, he says, I'm just a man, you know, and, and don't, I hope you wouldn't judge me for the church that I attend, just like I don't judge you for being who you are. And I believe you are who you are and I love you for it. And, and that's all I can ask for in a friend. And so, but yeah, yeah like uh, that journey was was a very <laughs> a tedious journey, um, but um, you know I'm I'm glad to have uh, come out of it. Um, I did not die there. I have mentored many other young people, many other young queer people, many people in the process of deconstruction who otherwise. And I wanted to go back to your original point about people of color and deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I have had several times in my life where I tried to deconstruct. The first time was pre the nervous breakdown. I was very much associated with a lot of Marxists and doing a lot of activist work along with uh, a lot of uh, white people who were actively anti-racist. And it was a beautiful time and they were all atheists. And I was not, And but it was, constantly pushing me and that was the first time i tried to deconstruct i began reading the god delusion by richard dawkins and i think i made it through the first chapter and got scared and shut the book um because he said imagine that there is no god imagine there's no heaven imagine there's no hell he was saying the lyrics to the imagine so actually i think that's just the intro i don't think i made it that because once i stopped to imagine it it became so alarming to me that that this that he might be right. And I shut the book, um, and I made it all about p- politics and activism. Uh, the next time that I would begin a deconstruction journey was after I found out my pastor's son was gay and that he had violently beat his son. I was very much never going to church again. What I said, I read a lot of books, including Godless by Dan Barker how a Pentecostal preacher became an atheist. Um, I read a lot of books during that time again, um, but I was angry. I was, I was violently angry because as a victim of domestic violence and a, and a abusive narcissistic father who my mother, you know, left when I was very young, but I remember those feelings and I was very angry and I felt like this God, mimicked this god mirrored that same image for me this cult leader mirrored that same image for me former pastors that i had mirrored that same image for me and i was angry i was very very angry and i was um i would say very close if not an agnostic atheist i was definitely very very close Mm -hmm. to that um experience and you know i i share about you know, a little more about how I come back around to that um, on on my show. But what I noticed during these different times that, oh, and the last time I deconstructed was 2020. 
you're sitting at home. Yeah, that's better to do. I ended up doing so much work and reading so many books during that time. But uh, and and uh, the last time was a, a very clearing time for me. And the last time was what what when I definitely knew that I, it was okay that I was that I was free to accept this truth. Um, what was true to me, but the deconstruction journey for me has always consisted of um, equally, well, angry, bitter, um, mocking white atheists. Always. And it's usually never people who felt as though they had a genuine experience. That's one thing. They or they 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 really need to be in therapy about their religious experience rather than making TikToks or writing tweets or making videos because they haven't deconstructed or decolonized their own minds. Yeah. So what you're dealing with is you have somebody who is bitter and angry and hurt. And then, but they take these the same evangelical mindset that they picked up in the uh, very much white supremacist patriarchal institution that is the evangelical church in America. And so you have this thing and you just take it and now you're just passionate about atheism and you're passionate about um, Richard Dawkins. And then you become... And uh, Christopher Hickens, and you become this asshole rather than um, truly working to understand yourself, doing the work um, in therapy. Yeah. Um, and it just becomes this thing. And I never saw myself in that. I never saw myself in that bitterness, not even when I was bitter, because I felt like, well, damn. Damn, why is people... And it was also the bitterness is what was controlling me, not the freedom to learn, not the freedom to question things. It was the bitterness. Reading as much as I can, consuming as much as anti-Christ, anti-God rhetoric, anti-religion rhetoric as I could because it's feeding the fact that I hate this institution so much because of what it did to me. And so... Um, one of the things that I've been able to uh, find in my journey since 2020, I have found some other voices. I've also become a voice. Um, as, as, as the Bible describes uh, John the Baptist, a voice crying out in the wilderness. Yes. And so I've become a voice crying into the wilderness and, and, and just... Because I know those young people that I've mentored, those young queer people that yeah. I've mentored, those young black queer people who have said to me, I've never heard a story like yours. I've yes. been to the edge of, of, of uh, atheism. Um, I've been there. I've read the books. I've been bitter. I've not been bitter. I'm in a place right now where I think my spirituality is whole. And... And and um, and so my 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 experience now is, and people it's funny because my 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 deeply Pentecostal friends that are still you know that still touch base every once in a while they say, uh, 
so so what are you an atheist now and i say i'm black <laughs> because my experience um particularly with the black church is inherently african the rhythm the way our feet touch the ground and and the way our feet are in connection with the ground and our backs are bent it is a spiritual experience that we brought with us yeah. from west africa during the transatlantic slave trade and and held on to through generations the ring shout the the way the drums the the way the the way that we dance um when we are uh filled with this energy uh, in, in African spirituality, they call it mounting, where you are mounted by the spirit of your ancestors or the Orisha if you are practicing African traditional religion. And so I, I, I realized that my connection to, this, to spirit, life, energy, essence is inherently my connection to not my home, uh, my homeland, it is also my connection to the earth. So when my feet are touching the ground and I am connected to all that is life, I am connected to, to the earth. And that is why my back bends and my knees bend and it arches and my arms go up because I'm connected to everything that is around me. And so for me, you know, some people may call it woo-woo. I don't think I'm too woo-woo because I'm I'm very textbook. We like woo-woo here. <laughs> but I am so in tune with all of it. Yeah. But I'll tell you what was the last straw for me. Mm -hmm. I've read Judges 19. I finally did go back and finish The God Delusion. I did. And in The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins, um, and reading The God Delusion from this point was so freeing because I could get all the information. I could see it for myself. Mm -hmm. and I Without could, the existential crisis. <laughs> yes. And I could just, you know, figure out what it all was going to mean to me. But baby, when I got to that Judges 19, I, it, as much as I had studied the scripture, it's I something that no one if, talks about because of how violent it is. And just how, like, there's so many things going I, on in that I, text. I'm like, in my, what is going on in my blind? I never saw this in this light before, even having read Judges. I remember reading Judges in my teen study Bible because I liked th that Deborah was a prophetess. And um, I was like, this is cool. So I'm like, but I don't remember Judges 19, but I read it in that moment. I remember taking a break from the God delusion when he brought it up and reading it. And where they literally cut this woman's body up into 12 pieces and Jeez. send it to all the tribes of Israel. After he gave her to these men, and they say, they call it the handmaid, but then they announce later that she was his daughter. And they rape her until she dies. And she falls down at his feet when he opens the door. And then he chops her up. I said, what the hell? And in addition to that, it is used as like one of the, the clobber passages because of its similarities to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like people are like, oh, there are all these men who want to have sex with this, right. this guy. Oh my and it's like, is that really what you're getting from the text with all the other fucking stuff that's going on? <laughs> And they run it. They run it together. That's why you could tell. Well, we also know that statistically, Christians don't read the Bible. A lot of times, no. many Christians do not read. They don't understand it. They don't study. 
literally the moment somebody knows it and they start talking to them, you can tell within 20 seconds that they don't know anything. They don't know anything about it. They just believe whatever their pastor says. Um, and the pastor can literally be making up stuff. You can hear preachers quote things and you're like, that's not even in the Bible. Yeah. What, what are you talking about? Especially when <laughs> but, you hear like, the rhetoric of like, it's my God-given right to own a firearm. It's like, there, that is not in the Bible at all. <laughs> no, it is so, it's insane. But yeah, that Judges 19, and I remember then I said aloud, I, whoa. And I was like, I do not believe in Yahweh. <laughs> and I was like, my, my, you know, but I, it's so funny because I find so much when I talk about that essence, the spirit, the life. Um, uh, there is this one thing that has always come back to me when I step in, when I practice being present in my body. Um, and, and so there's one thing that I always think about. And whenever Christians call themselves trying to evangelize to me, which is always fun for me, people I think, oh my God, I'm going to. And I'm just like, I made this girl cry in Barnes and Noble. Well, she worked herself <laughs> up to come over to me. And, and I, I wasn't trying to make her cry, but she was so astonished by the fact of how much scripture I knew and um, the things that I was saying, I ended up actually flipping it on her and ministering to her in a way she was just like, tears. She's like, I'm, I, I don't even know what to say. I said, have a good night. <laughs> I, you know, but it was, but the one thing that comes to me often in this moment that is, he that cometh to God must first believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I replace all those he's with a they. I like plural. I like my God to be like me. And so um, so I replace all those he's with they's, but I think the message is still the same. They who come to God must first believe that they are and that they are a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. And I believe that it just is. <laughs> having no ending, having no beginning. It just is. It is life and the essence of life itself. And I don't need to define it beyond that. It doesn't need to be bigger than that for me. Um, and I think that there is a way to, 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 to find solace in that and just sitting in the I am. The um, the I am, the, uh, you know, and so I think that's, that, that's, that's good. Absolutely. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel like, you know, this is your show and I've been just a chatting, but. Oh, I mean, thank you for sharing all that with us. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. It's so cool that you have like found this spirituality that, you know, makes you feel whole. That is what we wish for everyone. You know, we want to know um, what are the ways that folks can support you or connect with you on the internet. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, once again, my name is Richie X and I am, uh, the host of surviving fundamentalism, uh, 
um, which is the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely will have a problem with this shit. Um, and I also, uh, host another podcast called, uh, underdogs on top, which is not so heavy. It's much more fun. And it is about pop culture and, um, just a whole bunch of music and just a bunch of fun things, film, black film, all of that. Um, I am found on Instagram at Richie at it again. Um, one phrase and also Twitter is Richie at it again. Um, yeah, that that's where I can be found. And, and so all those stories I kind of started and left hanging, they're straight through on the survival yes. fundamentalism feed. Yes, I go straight through. Exactly. Yeah. You were giving, you, if anything, you were giving our listeners a sneak peek of what your podcast yeah. Yes, is. So go listen to Richie's pods. I wanted to say too, before we go uh, really quickly, I I didn't mention this part, but it's reconciling one of the safe places, safe spaces for my journey um, because I still desire to be in community. I desire that every day. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult because I don't, you know, I wear nails and, you know, sometimes I like flowing regalia and I don't want to be in community or believing I'm in community and then, you know, really um, insulted, assaulted mm-hmm. for showing up as I am. So one of the places that I have found that has been safe for me as a, as a Black, uh, queer, non-binary, neurodivergent person uh, is the Unitarian Universalist Church. Yeah. Um, I found a great safe space here. Uh, university, I mean, Universal, uh, Unitarian Universalist of Washington Crossing here in Jersey. It was a really safe space for me in that transition of just creating community, non-judgmental community. And they have really, really great doctrines around anti-racism and and so many other things. And so I think, you know, if if that's just a question of needing a safe space to be, there's most likely a Unitarian Universalist congregation somewhere near you. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And we'll definitely put that in like our show notes that way in case anyone ever needs that as a resource, they can do their research. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Yes, we really enjoyed it. That was such a cool conversation. And I mean, I think, you know, listeners, you might have noticed that we weren't actually saying a lot because, you know, we just kind of wanted to hear their story and just let them let them share it with um, with you guys, because um, it's a story that needs to uh, be shared. Absolutely. Um, And it's so interesting because we were on a bit of a time crunch for this particular recording. You you had class. I had class. And so we had, we were like, we have a solid hour and they, they are such a compelling storyteller and their story is just so interesting. And that like, it went by in a snap. It was, it felt like we were only talking for maybe 10 minutes. I definitely wanted to ask them about like the work they do in um, mentoring queer youth. I'm assuming they talk about that on uh, their podcast. So please go and check that out. Yeah, please, please Um, listen to their podcast. Cause I know that they were mentioning quite a bit that they go through their own more into detail on their own story um, there as well. So if you enjoyed listening to Richie as much as we did, 
definitely go check out Surviving Fundamentalism. Yes, we love we love seeing people finding wholeness and happiness. It's just so beautiful to see. Absolutely. Uh, so do you want to go into High of the Week? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I can go first because mine is just at the top of my brain. I had my choir concert this past weekend. Yes. And you um, had a solo. I had a solo. Thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun. Um, I Between all the rehearsal, vocal rehearsal, dance rehearsal, solo rehearsal, and then getting COVID and then having to like come back the week before uh, tech week and having to just learn everything. It was super chaotic, but it the show was so successful and I was really proud of how it turned out. And now the choir is over for the summer. Um, we don't resume again till September. And I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do without <laughs> choir rehearsal. Um, but it was, yeah, it just, it just went really well. And I was able to have family there. And then I also had family and friends live streaming the show as well. So it was, it was just really nice. And I felt like, I felt like this time around, um, because our holiday show was right as Omicron was getting really big. It was a very isolating thing where like I didn't get to know as many people but this one it was like I got to become friends with a lot of our choir members mm-hmm. so cool. it just it just was a great experience all around it was a good weekend um my high of the week also has to do with singing yes it does uh, on, <laughs> on Sunday I sang uh defying gravity uh at my church with another person on the worship team and I'm glad she joined me because I don't think I'd be able to sing it through that all the way through my voice would have been shot uh but you know during um during when we were when we were rehearsing the song last week um uh at first I was like singing in my head voice when I got to the high note and Susan the music director was like April I know you can belt that note yeah (laughs) get out of your head voice (laughs) and so at first and at first I was like uh I don't know if I can do this feels like it's straining my voice and she's like you need to breathe from a different area in body like breathe from the diaphragm and so I was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna try that and then all of a sudden during that rehearsal I like belted a note and I was like how did I do that (laughs) isn't that the best feeling you're like, did that just come out of me? That was great. I know, yeah. And I mean, you know, in the actual performance that was recorded, I I mean, I talked about this on Facebook. I kind of, uh, my annoying brain focuses on like what I did wrong because I was nervous. But like, you know, when it came to the actual chorus, I nailed it. And I think that's what's most important. You did so. fantastic. Oh, thank you. We both had very, we had both had very vocally successful weekends. Yes, definitely. Um... So our next episode um, is going to be another uh, Bible Dyke deep dive. And Anna chose the uh, book this time. So how about you announce it? Get ready, y'all, because we are Bible Dyke deep diving into Levitical law. Um, it's a real doozy. Woo! There are a lot of rules. And we're gonna, uh, I think, wait, it's the first time that we're like going to be talking about one of the clobber passages. I think we haven't really. You're we haven't right. Really, yeah. yeah. Cool. Oh, damn. Fun. Okay. Um, for the for listeners who might not know, clobber passages are the passages that are used uh, against LGBTQ people. So we're going to be talking about the two verses in Leviticus that uh, people use, even though it's not it's clearly not talking about modern same-sex relationships. But exactly. We'll see. Exactly. So that is going to be a big doozy of an episode. Uh, a lot of research is going to have to go into it. Um, but yeah, we're excited for you to listen and learn and... I know that some of the books of the Torah are not as well read by the greater Christian, especially evangelical Christian community. So if you are someone that never read Leviticus, um, 
and only kind of. I mean, of a lot it. of the laws are ignored except for that passage about about. It's um, yeah, um, I know. Homosexuality. It's ridiculous. Like that's the only verse that people seem to really pinpoint in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. But like, um, hopefully that we all learn a little something. Um, I only read Leviticus for the first time this past year, all the way through. Um, cause again, it just wasn't really taught in church. Um, and I feel like it's the same for a lot of Christians. There's also not really a story, you know? Yeah, there isn't really a list of law. <laughs> Yeah, but we're definitely excited to like dive into the context and the language and like yeah. why this book was written and what use it could have possibly had, um, back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah, well, I guess we'll go to the plug. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reclaiming the Garden. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Reclaiming the Garden or on Twitter at RT Garden Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, and you can always check out our merch store to get t-shirts, mugs, and other fun merchandise. If you are able to, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does boost us in the algorithm, but we are grateful that you are here and listening, so if that's all you can do, We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you soon.